Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by the Taking Church to the Community Video Toolkit. Explore strategies your congregation can use to reach beyond its walls with worship, community events, ministries, and service. Learn more and watch introductory videos at churchleadership.com shop. What can we learn about congregational revitalization, fresh expressions, and evangelism from the Methodist Church in Britain. In this episode, Trey Hall shares insights on these subjects, drawing from his experience in the United States and Great Britain. Welcome to Leading Ideas Talks, a podcast featuring thought leaders and innovative practitioners. I am Douglas Poe, the director of the Lewis Center and your host for this talk. Joining me is Reverend Trey Hall, who is the director of evangelism and growth for the Methodist Church of Britain. Our focus for this podcast is creating vital congregations. Trey, welcome to our conversation today. It's great to be with you. I want to begin, Trey. Of course, I uh, know you from the time we spent together years ago on Emory's campus. Um, But for those who don't know you, they hear about about you being in England, and that seems strange if you're from America. So can you share a little bit about your professional journey and how you ended up in this position? Yeah, yeah, so I'm I'm in Britain, but I still say y'all. So I've got my deep Southern formation there. I like it. (laughs) It, I'm trying to convince all the British Methodists that y'all is the most inclusive way of referring to the people of God. So I still have a lot of work to do. I was gonna say, how's that going for you? I think they're open. They're open. To it so it's become a little bit of a joke in the in the Methodist Church in Britain but um, you know we're, we're, we're playful with it so yeah I'm, I'm I'm a child of the south grew up in this in Memphis and then went to seminary at Candler where we met and then um, my home conference is the Northern Illinois conference and served there for 15 years as a, as a pastor uh, of a suburban church and then a pastor of an inner kind of a sort of not inner city, but a city church, and then helped start a, a new church, a multi-site church there in Chicago. So most of my, most of my ministry in, in the States was as a church planter. Um, and then I, I fell in love before I um, started working in Northern Illinois. I had an internship uh, with the British Methodist Church straight from Candler, and um, which wonderful time uh, here serving uh, a circuit in British Methodism. Fell in love with the Brit. Uh, we moved back to the States uh, in, our, in our 20s, um, had a hard life there, and then it was time for me to follow my spouse. So we moved back to Britain, um, and then I started kind of doing coaching for pioneers, and as which, which is the term in Britain for church planters, pioneers and church planters, and then started working for a British Methodist district, which is sort of like a, a conference and United Methodists kind of speak and did that for a few years, helping them think about church planting, pioneering, and evangelism. And then the British Methodist Church, the Methodist Church in Britain, uh, started a new kind of emphasis on evangelism and growth uh, here about four years ago now. And so I, I was um, uh, stationed, appointed to that role. Great. Um, I appreciate that uh, sort of quick synopsis of what you've done. And uh, 
for those who don't know, when you planted a church here in the United States, um, it was going extremely well before um, you left to uh, do other things. So um, excited to, to have you in the position you're in to be able to help think about the work of evangelism in the uh, British context. Let me begin by asking, so given um, the context of Britain, and you've also been in the context of the US, can you share a little bit about the British context and the similarities and differences you see with the US. Um, in some ways, they're probably similar, but they also are very different in some ways. So can you just uh, share a little bit about the similarities and differences? Sure. Well, there are lots and lots of cultural differences between Britain and the US. Um, and I think some of those things sort of sort of sit underneath the surface. There's a, a, a phrase of being separated by common language. So that we have a similar a similar language in English, um, and it is it, it's it's used differently. Obviously, American English is different from British English, but but there are loads of cultural differences, like there would be between any country. I think the general step I would sort of observe is that Britain, like much of Western Europe, in terms of its relationship to church, to to Christendom, to kind of organized religion, however we want to talk about that, is just several decades ahead of where the U.S. is, but is, um, is sort of uh, the trends are kind of seem to be the same. So uh, in the U.K., 51% 51, 51 of folks identify uh, with Christianity, which is down from 60% 10 years ago. 38% uh, identify as, as having no religion, which is up from 32% 10 years ago. And 53% of those in their 20s identify as having no religion. So those that gives you a sense of the British, um, the British public, um, and how they identify in terms of religious affiliation. Interestingly, and I don't know if this would be similar to the states within the folks who identify as Christian, the numbers are 51% sounds like um, uh, sounds like a lot in some ways to British context. In, in American context, probably the, the number would be much higher. But within that 51%, only a third of those folks ticked Christian, marked Christian because they believed in the teachings of Christianity. Other folks marked Christian, marked the Christian box because they were baptized Christian as a baby or because this is a Christian country. So in some ways that are similar to the US, there is a cultural Christianity. Um, um, but I think that, that it's, much, it's waned quite a bit here. So that's, that's the trend lines of, of UK Christendom. Now, one of the things we, we are seeing though, um, is that, uh, and we see this in the States as well, is though uh, those religious affiliation numbers are going down, there is a marked interest in um, spirituality among the younger and rising generations. So the same kind of census uh, data reflects and the, I don't mean that in any kind of like everyone saying that they believe in a Christian spirituality, but there is, you know, an interest in the paranormal or people talking about being spiritual but not religious or other kind of um, sort of spiritual phenomenon. So there's an interest that, that, that that's, that's higher in the, in the rising and younger generations than, than, than the previous generations, which is sort of interesting. So as, as religious affiliation declines, uh, spiritual interest seems to be increasing. Thank you for that. And that is helpful. Um, 
and I want to sort of unpack one piece of that before we move on. So the religious affiliation declining, certainly we're seeing that here um, also uh, to some extent in the U.S. context where sort of mainline denominations have been in decline for quite a while um, in this context. Um, the reality is even some non-denominational decline is also happening now just because of the trend lines you've talked about that have already occurred um, in the uh, British context. But sticking with the main line for uh, a minute, the uh, re religious affiliation, given that you are affiliated with the Methodist Church of, uh, of Britain, how are you all sort of dealing with that aspect of, um, of the challenge of uh, sort of connecting with people? So how do you balance those things? Well, I think the answer is in a number of very different ways. So the Methodist Church in Britain sort of is, is, in a, is different in, um, in its um, kind of relationship to culture, British culture, than the United Methodist Church relates to US culture. So um, I've, I've, I sort of hear that the dominant church is the Church of England, the Anglican Church. So when I was in the States, I felt like the, Meth the United Methodist Church was one of the, is one of the larger Protestant denominations. And I always felt for my um, Episcopalian colleagues, you know, they, they, they had a, you know, a, a beautiful tradition, but were sort of, in terms of numerical, uh, numerical um, uh, adherence, was much smaller, obviously. Here, it's, it's like, it's, the, it's, a, it's a sort of flip script. So here, it's the Church of England is, is, the, is the main church and, and sort of occupies Understandably, it's the Church of England, and because of how Britain, uh, Britain's constitution is, works uh, to the extent there is a constitution. You know, their church and state are are um, joined up, if, uh, ostensibly kind of joined up. So, so here, um, Methodists are kind of um, a free church, is what it, how they're called here, how the Methodist Church is called here. So, a free church or um, uh, a dissenting church or uh, a nonconformist church. Now, within Methodism here, loads of different different strands, as it, as in Methodism across the world. But I, I just want to say, like Methodism occupies a much smaller footprint. Um, and, and so, so that said, as as the church, the Methodist Church, um, a few years ago began sort of paying more attention, more uh, attention to these these numbers that we were describing. I think realized that um, there was not a one one uh, one solution or one way of of more fully engaging this these trends, and so how have we done it? We're trying to sort of talk about helping established churches get really clear about what their context is, what their mission is, how to engage in their communities and make friends with people they haven't made friends with before in order that kind of established, maybe more traditional churches might, might stabilize and, and renew themselves by, by God's grace and find a stability. So that's, that's one thing, but also new forms of church, uh, church planting, pioneering, fresh expressions, um, and, and all the uh, different ways of being church or being religious community that may or may not call itself church. Um, so I think just thinking about um, a term that we use a lot here, which is a term that was, I think, first, first used by the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, the term of the mixed ecology. And I think um, I really like that term as a, just a statement of reality 
uh, much more than the church. You know, we human beings are a mixed ecology. Um, organizations are a mixed ecology, but that is a way also of talking about the church's mission and ministry. And I think that's hopefully, I think that's always been the case. If, you, if we're honest, the church has always been a mixed ecology and has served God, glorified God and served God's people and, and reached out to the world in really different ways. But in a time uh, in the state we find ourselves in now with kind of uh, um, with the numbers that we've just described, I think there's there even more a need for that kind of mixed ecology approach, not as a not as a desperate approach, but actually one that is, um, I think, really life giving, uh, really creativity and energy inspiring, and and and, and in, invites I think um, ministers and missionaries and lay and ordained folks, people across the theological spectrum, across the ecclesial spectrum, to know that their gifts are needed and valued. And, and can be engaged and, and kind of deployed in this in this kind of it's not even it's not even one horizon it's all these different horizons and all these with all these different um, kind of people groups so it is you know it could be could be seen as desperation but I this is sort of where I love to live is in this space of you know one size has probably never fit all it certainly doesn't fit all now and that's a, that's a beautiful thing so um, so the Methodist Church is trying to live in that um, mixed ecology space. We, I think we've, we've always, I think that as a church, we've always tried to do that. In the past two or three years, we've made a concerted effort to kind of lean into that and to sort of norm mixed ecology. So um, that's, that's a lot of what my work is uh, alongside diverse leaders across the church here in, here in Britain. Let's um, sort of unpack that a little bit more, and let's start with established churches. So how do you work with established churches? And established churches in your context are much older than established churches here, of course. So how do you work with them to talk about, um, you know, the, the context around you is ever-changing, that Tradition, of course, is critically important, but you also have to find ways of sharing the tradition, maybe in updated modes. So how do you help those individuals that have sort of firmly been planted for a number of years to start thinking differently about what it will mean if they want to continue to be vital moving forward? Well, a number of different ways. I mean, I think, um, one is just starting with um, with prayer and prayer uh, prayer walking or prayer in community. So, do people do our churches, our, our our Christian communities that inhabit buildings in particular places? Do they know and love the communities of which they're part? This is basic stuff. This is foundational stuff. But sometimes the foundational and basic stuff is stuff we avoid, or or or, or just think of think of we, we don't pay attention to. So, how do churches spend time in their communities? Um, it, kind of consciously, and that that we really encourage people to do. Kind of, there are a number to prayer walks, to uh, knock doors, to introduce themselves, um, not as people who have all the answers, but as people who want to, you know, learn about what 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 their neighbors are are anxious about, or worried about, or need prayer for. Just to sort of to build build those relationships. Um, so. Um, what do what do Christians notice as they as they walk their neighborhoods? I know um, there's a woman in a, a city not too far from here 
a little village actually. And she just, she started walking every morning um, at 6.30 in the morning is what she does. And she just has made, made loads and loads of friends as she's walked every morning at 6.30. And the little village church that she's part of has grown. It's not grown, it's not like tripled in size over the past two or three years, but it's grown by, by many. And a, n- a number of those folks are people that, that have, have come because of my friends walking the, walking the village. So it's that kind of stuff. Now, the, the prayerful walking doesn't always lead to church growth, but it, it does lead to kind of an understanding of the, of the context. Um, so there's that. It's just knowing your context. And there are loads of different ways to do that. Um, um, I, I think the other thing is, another, another thing is, is thinking about, I always talk about um, Christianity as first language and Christianity as second language. Um, so those of us who have been part of the church for a long time, maybe been born, baptized, raised in the church, Christianity is our first language. We know the concepts, we know the, we know the, you know, we know the language and, and thanks be to God. A first language, you know, is a wonderful thing to have. It's, you know, we, you can play and with different idiom and thought in the thought world, you know, with so much flexibility and ease when it's your first language. I think one of the things we, we know is that folks who have not come in contact with church, people who are in that 51% um, who've had no contact with organized religion, Christianity, Christianity will not be their first language. Christianity, if, if they are to become, you know, people who explore grace and eventually uh, become Christian, they will be learning Christianity as a second language, really. And so I think that the, the established church who loves the first language, the, the, the expression of Christianity, the first language, has got to do, you know, learn to be at least translator, uh, um, you know, so, so I think there's that, there's that is the translation. And perhaps, perhaps it's not just translation from first language Christianity to second language Christianity, but also maybe to learn a new language together. And I think that is, again, that's really challenging. It's tough to learn a second language. Um, it's tough to teach a second language, but I think it comes down to a couple of things. One is a, a conceptual uh, kind of approach. So if we, de- we, if we are to, this is sort of a basic thing, but if we are to take the, the words and concepts that we love and know kind of like our breathing, grace, salvation, transformation, communion, Eucharist, you know, all, this, all the, the language of faith, can we, can we practice talking about those, those, those beautiful things, not necessarily throwing that language out, it's, 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 you know, but can we, can we translate that language into a vernacular? Um, so are, are we skilled? Can we skill up uh, to, to be able to do that translation more regularly? The second thing is, in terms of that second language, is being able to talk about our own spiritual experience, to offer, if I were using the first language, I might say, um, to, to give testimony to our experience of God, what it's like to undergo God, one scholar has said. What does it feel like uh, right now, not 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 40 years ago, but right now, what is it like to be undergoing the living God? Um, and I think that is, a, that, is that, that kind of question, that, um, that testimony is not only one that is offered, to people who are not Christian and maybe exploring grace, but but quite, but a way of of receiving of receiving from people who are kind of living in the community who may be exploring grace, exploring Christianity or not. So I mentioned earlier the kind of increase in spiritual interest among people generally in in the UK at least and, and the UK, US too, and so um, to ask people 
to talk about their spiritual lives. So, so we can do that even with folks who aren't in our kind of religious group. One of my colleagues on, on the evangelism and growth team at, at, in the Methodist church here um, has taken to sort of asking people, tell me about something spiritual that's happened to you lately. And people, people have an answer to that. Now, some of those answers are really um, ones that you know, might feel naturally really beautiful to us. Some of them might feel really fringe to us or sort of extraordinary. But I think loads of people are, are happy to talk about that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think can established churches get, um, you know, go into that sort of language play, which again is about con concept, but also spiritual experience. And I think to the extent that we are as established um, and committed and, and Christians willing to, to go into that language, that language, relanguaging or that language school will be better at not only offering Christ to people who ha haven't um, experienced Christ yet, or maybe did and have, you know, for lots of reasons, uh, not become, not been part of the church, um, but also that we might ourselves, this is one of my big things, we might, we might also receive Christ in ways we didn't expect from people who are living in our neighborhoods um, who are not part of our religious group. Yeah, that's helpful. I appreciate that response. I really um, appreciate thinking about the first and second language, because I think you're right on target. And here in the US, I think more and more, we need to start thinking in that same manner. We've sort of taken it for granted that everybody knows the Christian language, but that certainly is not true today in ways that it was at one point in time. Yeah, so, so like we talk, we talk about like teaching Spanish as a second language, right? So what is what does it look like to teach Christianity as a second language? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's good. Let's sticking with the mix sort of ecology. Let's now talk sort of about fresh expressions, um, uh, you know, which started in England, of course, have come here also to the United States and fresh expressions, being thinking about ways to create faith communities um, that may look more like traditional churches, but also don't look like traditional churches, that they are expressed in various forms and fashion. So how are you working to create these sort of fresh expressions of faith communities and who do you find to start these communities? Well, we talk about, uh, so fresh expressions movement did indeed start here in England and it was a project of, uh, an ecumenical project. It was uh, by the C of E, the Church of England and the Methodist Church. So we're really, we're really proud. It's one of the things that British Methodists are really proud of is that that, that kind of uh, that project started uh, ecumenically here with the C of E. And, and it's wonderful to see it kind of uh, coming into its own in the US context uh, in different ways. Uh, so just for those of you who are listening who don't know Fresh Expressions, it really is, I mean, it really is a broad spectrum. As you said, Doug, it's really, communities of, of, of Christianity, communities of, of spiritual exploration that are designed um, particularly by and for people who are unaffiliated, people who are um, not currently part of the church. Um, and, you know, across the spectrum might be uh, a fresh expression might be a really big kind of worshiping community. It might be a really small micro church. It might be a social enterprise that has a discipleship pathway built into it. You know, it, it sort of, the sky's the limit, uh, really. Um, and so I think what we're finding here in the British Methodist Church, we've, we've, we started using the language of new places for new people to describe that spectrum. 
here, fresh expressions um, often kind of refers to a really, really small kind of micro church um, or, or micro experiment, which is really beautiful. The small is beautiful, um, but it, it can sometimes refer only to that. And so we wanted a, a broader term to, to sort of hold, for Methodists at least here, to hold all, all these different kinds of um, experiments and modalities for creating new, new faith community, new spiritual community for people who are unaffiliated. So again, across the spectrum, what we're looking for um, for folks who, who start those is many of the things that you, know, you will know about in the United Methodist Church around a love for people who, you know, are, who are not part of church, uh, a natural kind of um, a, a natural connection to uh, folks uh, who are not part of church, people who enjoy um, um, talking about um, big, deep spiritual issues, people who go where people are living their lives and are interested, more interested in sort of making community uh, and space where they are living their lives as opposed to trying to get them to come to a place where religious people are living their lives. So people who, who, who are, are happy uh, in, 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 in spaces beyond church buildings and, and, and maybe uh, are willing to even think about church beyond the church building you know, forever, sort of permanently. Um, people who like starting new things, people who are really, really interested at, in moving beyond the one-on-one, -on -one, the one-on-one the, the -on -one relationship at the beginning is really, really important, who, who can move beyond the one-on-one -on -one sort of pastor, pastoral, uh, chaplaincy kind of relationship into creating community around a big idea, around a, a spiritual process. Um, and so we found in the British Methodist Church, um, sort of unlike the United Methodist Church, most of the pioneers, as they're called here, um, are lay folks. Um, now, we, we have started sort of, uh, there are some ministers, ordained ministers who are pioneers, but, uh, and we want, we want to see more uh, ordained ministers who are pioneers, but it, it started as mostly as a lay movement. Um, and so, um, which going back to Wesleyan roots, going back to those Wesleyan roots. Absolutely. And, and I, I think, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It, I think it, it means that um, there, there's, a, there's a gift in that. There's a joy in that. I think it, there's, there's a challenge in that too, around, I think sometimes um, the recognition of the ministry. Um, and I think um, even, even in, a, in a church, the British Methodist Church, which has that, that rich DNA of being a lay movement, I think sometimes you know, we, we, all have, we all have times where clericalism kind of overrides the, the, what the spirit's doing in lay, lay leadership. We, we really guard against that, but I think sometimes that does happen. So, um, but but we, 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 love that, we love that lay folks are reminding us of what the church of, of, of the past has been like and what the church of the future uh, can be like if we are in the present all working together. So I always say that lay folks are also reminding ordained folks what their ministry should be more like more of the time. Um, so, yeah. That's great. Well, Trez, we um, get ready to bring this to a close. I want you to look into sort of your spiritual crystal ball and think about 10 years from now, where you would like to see um, the Methodist Church of Britain move, um, given sort of the work that you're doing. Uh, if you could just 
paint a picture, maybe I'll give you two questions. If you could paint a picture where you would like to see it move and where do you think it will be at that point in time? So I'll, I'll let you sort of think about it in both ways. I would love to see um, a church that's, that commits to evangelism as, a, as a, a core part of our discipleship, that it's not something for only a particular theological orientation, but something that we all are committed to. Everybody is an evangelist, we say in the British Methodist Church, that we might lean into that. And I think with that, that sense that we are all called to be evangelists across the diversity of the human spectrum could release, you know, instead of a few evangelists for, for a church, it could release, you know, the thousands and thousands of, 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 of committed Methodists to be evangelists. I think in that commitment to be an event, to be evangelist, I think an expectation that we in our evangelism will be evangelized uh, alongside of the people that we are in relationship with. Sometimes God will evangelize us in the process of being in evangelism. Sometimes the folks that we go out to evangelize will evangelize us, you know? So I think that kind of mutuality, that reciprocity that we expect God's goodness, we expect to hear it from others as much as we expect to speak it to others and that we would all live that out together. I think that mutuality is so crucial. I think um, I would love to see churches established and new places for new people be really, really committed to developing one-on-one -on -one relationships in their community and, and making that a, um, a sort of a core practice as well of discipleship, uh, going out uh, routinely, turning over every stone, asking people for coffee, you know, building that kind of relationship building into their discipleship. I would love to see um, church planting and pioneering become a top priority for every district's mission strategy, um, that it would be not only a sort of an optional extra, but would be a, well, of course, this is just what we do because, you know, we're Methodist, we're Methodist Christians, we plant churches, we start new Christian communities. Um, I would love to see the church kind of just uh, take missional uh, risks to go where the people are. Um, and this could be, you know, community festivals, um, uh, sports, sports clubs, all, all, the all the places where people live their lives, the, the margins, economic margins, where people are impoverished, and, and not just to go and to be in mission to these places, but to expect God, to, to ask God to show us um, uh, the leaders that God is raising up already in those places. I, I think one of the things that's most exciting right now, in my opinion, in, in the world is seeing all of these movements for social change, for environmental justice, for, for, for social transformation, and seeing how many of the leaders are, are young and, uh, and, and, and more um, able to talk about um, transformation in multi-leveled and, and, and wonderful kind of ways that acknowledge past oppression and, 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 and liberation as something that God's uh, offering to us. So I'm interested in how these movements kind of credential uh, their leaders and so I look forward to like how the church can learn from those movements as we as we welcome younger and more diverse leaders um, that God's already God's already raising them up um, in different places uh, and different parts of, of, of God's creation. So how can we how can we learn from them? Um, yeah, I just I, I, I pray that we'll be able to 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 go where God leads and to the big gritty questions um, and not be afraid of, of people, you know, uh, talking about their experience of God in, in ways that might 
sort of be outside of our norm to sort of just to sort of sort of just to sort of norm the weird. You know, I, I always talk about um, in some ways you don't want the church to be weird and like, a, you know, you know, you don't want the church to be like kind of odd and sort of right. sort of a negative way, but like to, to, to norm, like you want the church to be distinctive. And I think we have a lot to to learn from folks who are kind of um, kind of at, at the margins and, 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 and these burgeoning movements. Trey, thank you so much. This has been uh, wonderful. It was great to uh, sort of get a glimpse into your world and the work that you're doing. And I'm excited. Um, I think uh, you paint a picture that seems very possible given what has taken place right now. So appreciation for uh, your sharing with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe free to Leading Ideas at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas.